Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Long Shot Podcast brought to you by 342 Productions. I'm your host, as always, Duncan Robinson, and I'm here with Davis Reed. Davis, how are we doing? I am I'm doing great. I'm in I'm in good health, uh, but I'm curious how how you are doing. I'm in good health as well. Uh, there were maybe some reports that I wasn't. It was looking a little shaky there for a second. Uh, you know, I'll start by saying this. I have made it an, a prideful uh, stance of mine to always try to play through, you know, any sort of minor bumps and bruises, that sort of thing. Or, you know, different times throughout my career, I haven't felt 100% and, and gone out there and still played. Uh, Monday night against the Chicago Bulls, I did not feel well before the game. Uh, stomach kind of shaky, little something. And, you know, nothing like really out of the ordinary. But as the day kind of went on, I kind of started to realize I wasn't feeling so hot. And around the halfway mark of the game, I mean, pretty early on in the game, I knew I wasn't myself. I, I just didn't feel my normal uh, energy-wise, felt kind of depleted or whatever. And then in the, the second half, after we came out for halftime, it was very clear that uh, I'd actually kind of started to go into the the range of if I continued to push myself, then maybe just kind of a, a not great idea. So I uh, I had to, to leave that game, uh, unfortunately, in, in the middle of the game. And uh, it, that, that type of stuff is always challenging because it kills me. I, I want to be there for my teammates and, and I want to, you know, continue to, to try to help this playoff push. But it was a uh, it was tough. Yeah, I'm feeling better now, though, so I appreciate it. Good. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I just want to, as a, you know, as a supporter of Duncan Robinson, I do just want to point out even battling a sickness, you, uh, were plus four last night in your time on the court. So, uh, you were still bringing value to your team, which I think is good. It, it takes me back to, I watched you play in LA for the first time in your career. You played at Staples center <laughs> and something very similar happened. It was your first time playing at Staples. First time going up against LeBron. I, I had the privilege of being there. We're all fired up, and uh, same thing, battling a sickness. The, honestly, that it was very, very similar. Um, that one, I, I did not feel well at all. And, and mind you, this isn't just like you wake up a little bit under the weather. If that happens, I, I'm playing through that 100% of the time. This is like, in both cases, I was I was sick, sick. Um, so like I said, I'm, I'm feeling better now. But yeah, that was... That it was very similar, um, and you unfortunately were there for that performance as well, which uh, was an ugly one as well. And I appreciate you trying to bring up the plus four, but that was maybe the only redeemable statistic <laughs> of the night. Um, so thanks. Well, here's the thing: not to reopen a wound, but it was reminiscent again of the LA game, which I remember. In the LA game, you didn't you didn't play as well as you'd wanted to, and afterwards you said, "I was seeing three rims." You know, it's like, so you're out there trying to battle, you're doing everything you can, but sometimes, you know, there's a, a greater force that has other things in mind. There, exactly. The other night was the same sort of thing. Uh, I, I was looking at three rims and I was repeatedly choosing the wrong one is, <laughs> is what, is what continued to happen. Um, but as I mentioned, I, I went in the back, I, I got an IV. Um, so I started to, to get back to feel my normal self still, you know, still not, 100%, but definitely uh, good enough to play some basketball. So, uh, you know, at this point in the season, whatever it takes, you know, we're, we're all hands on deck right now, obviously right in the thick of it in terms of a, a playoff push here. So doing what we can. Yeah, it is insane. We, uh, we have a great conversation with Joe, by the way, but 
towards the end, we talk about, we, we reference just how insane this year has been, how quickly the season has flown by. We're down to what? Three weeks left, I think, before the playoffs start. It's, it's just insane. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's really interesting because this year feels so unique in so many different ways with the protocols and, and the procedures and, and everything. And truthfully for, for us, uh, you know, the Miami heat, it's, it's like this one, it's kind of almost blended in with, with our bubble experience where it just feels like this one long stretch, uh, particularly just because we only had, I think it was 60 days or so off, but a lot of that is to, you know, spent getting your body back, right. Um, and then also, you know, trying to gear and wind back up, um, for training camp. And then once the season has started, it's just been a blur. We, you know, we played every other night pretty much, um, with, with, of course, some back-to-backs mixed in there. So of course, no, no excuses. Um, everyone's going through it in some capacity. And, uh, the, the real separator has been the teams that are able to overcome and, and combat these types of, uh, situations and circumstances and continue to, uh, to put forth winning efforts, um, which we've, we've shown we're capable of doing in stretches. Uh, the consistency has definitely been something that, that we've lacked this year. Um, but, once again, it's it's really all about just playing your best basketball at the right time, and and that's what we're all locked in on right now. I think it's inevitable that with you being a member of the Miami Heat, this sort of turns into a Miami Heat podcast. But I just am realizing that we're both wearing Miami Heat shirts, which isn't helping the narrative at all. Well, I mean, I think you just kind of got to lean into it. I mean, at, at this point, like you said, um, I, of course, I know where my loyalty lies. I'd like to think that that your lies someplace similar. Uh, of course. You know, given our, our friendship, I know you have friends around the league. You're a very connected individual, but uh, I think I'd like to think that our, ours runs a little deeper. It does. And and further, I, I don't think it's a bad thing that we're a Miami Heat podcast. It's just, you know, we're, we're leaning into it with our attire, I guess is my point. I mean, we've um, also, also like half of our guests have been Miami Heat players. Right. So like, <laughs> right. what are we really doing here? Are we trying to act like we're not? I mean, clearly there's some, some preference here. Got to embrace it. Um, I wanted to ask you about the the way the NBA is handling uh, kind of relaxing COVID restrictions. I know that a lot of guys are vaccinated uh, and, and you had mentioned, so I wanted to ask you to, uh, in a little bit more depth, you'd mentioned that some restrictions were going to be relaxed a little bit. How, how are they uh, moving forward with all that? Sure. So I'll, I'll start this out with a, a PSA. Uh, I am fully vaccinated. I've I received both shots of the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, I have been fully vaccinated now for two or three weeks. Um, I, we're also, as an organization, I think on the cusp of a kind of vaccination public push. Um, we're going to start putting out some some different content. So figured I'd, I'd break the news here. I think it'll be broken by the organization, but uh, I, I, I'm i not going to break anyone else's. That's, a, I believe, a HIPAA violation yeah. uh, for you lawyers and, and doctors at home. But uh, I, I am fully vaccinated. I, I can share that information. And, and truthfully, it really actually hasn't changed all that much. There's actually been... According to the league, I guess like a, a recent little spike. So the uh, the protocols are we're still taking as seriously as ever. Uh, I think one of the interesting things about the majority of our team, once again, I'm not going to say anybody is vaccinated, but <laughs> potentially maybe being vaccinated, uh, is that the contact tracing looks a lot different. So if somebody were to have a false positive or actually have a positive. If you are vaccinated, so I'll speak for myself, even if I was around that person, because I am now vaccinated, I would not have to 
miss time, even though my tests are showing up negative, because that was part of the issue. We had an instance earlier this year uh, before the vaccine was was readily available to us in that we had a player test positive and a lot of guys were just knocked out due to health and safety protocols just because they had been in their proximity. So that's actually, it's really good um, for the league as a whole moving forward because you aren't going to see guys get held out because of contact tracing, um, which can be, of course, there's some science behind it, but it can be, it can feel, I'll say this, it can feel somewhat arbitrary at times. And I think it's just frustrating in that, you know, we're wearing masks all the time. We're doing everything we can to to be socially distant still, despite everything going on. Um, but to have somebody outside of your control or maybe somebody you're matched up against have a positive test, uh, it would be frustrating to then have you have to sit out, even though you might be fully healthy. So that's For it's sure. it's interesting. I mean, it's a, obviously an incredibly difficult situation. I think the league is doing the best that they can. Uh, but the vaccination, uh, or the, just more people getting vaccinated definitely adds a different dynamic. Yeah, and well, and it's got massive playoff implications too, right? True. Like if if there's a COVID scare, knock on wood, uh, then you know guys aren't vaccinated, then you have this whole issue of having to sit out in a series, and that would just be terrible. So that's good to hear. Uh, staying on the health train and uh, getting vaccinated, I think maybe we're on the horizon of starting to do these in person, which is pretty exciting. I think that that might be summer 2021 activities. Uh, There is definitely a hope. Davis and I have been talking about it uh, loosely. I'll say, you know, I haven't haven't put anything in writing uh, or in any sort of, you know, verbal commitment. But uh, we want to try to ultimately get these to the point. As much as we love the Zoom, I think there's a different dynamic that comes with, you know, being able to be in the presence of not only one another, but our guest, of course, as well. I think it just limit like... I don't want to say eliminates, but like limits, I'll say, some of the banter uh, and just some of the potential there in our conversation. So I think that the Zoom has allowed a lot of this to be possible, uh, you know, in the midst of a global pandemic to launch and start a podcast. And we're appreciative of all the support. Uh, But we do, uh, I'm a strong believer that there's another level that we can tap into here. Oh, yeah. Brick by brick, baby. We haven't, we haven't pulled that, uh, line out in a while, but brick by brick, we're, we're building this thing. I, so, you know, I'm sometimes I'm laying in bed at night, just eyes closed, thinking about sitting, you know, watching a Miami sunset. Uh, maybe there's a cocktail in hand sitting on a sofa. Uh, you're there. And then there's a, there's a guest and we're just, we're just kicking it. We're having a great conversation. I think, like you said, it just adds a whole new dynamic. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's an ideal situation. It it was funny. Davis and I were actually speaking off the air earlier, uh, because we do have a a friendship outside of our, our podcast and, uh, potentially on the horizon, I will be moving into, uh, hopefully a a different place, maybe with a little bit more space. And I was thinking about how I wanted to have maybe a a roommate. And of course, you know, Davis and I work together, coworkers. I figured he'd be a great addition to, uh, you know, to ultimately be my roommate. But then I, I, quickly realized that Dave is, is engaged to be married here pretty soon, yeah. uh, which drastically changes the landscape. I don't think you're going to be, you know, packing up your bags and, and moving down to Miami anytime soon uh, when you're going to have a wife here. It, uh, it, it changes the dynamic a little bit. I think that window might be closing yeah. uh, or closed. Actually, really, it's going to be closed. I'm getting married August 1st, uh, which is right around the time that you might be potentially looking at uh, upgrading your living space, like you alluded to. Maybe. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I don't see a world where uh, me and my now wife are looking for a roommate. I think we'll probably be looking for a place on our own. That would be a, a dynamic uh, uh, 
living environment of all three of us hunkered down together. Uh, anyways, let, let's move forward here. Let, let's push into the Reddit question. What do we got, Dave? So this week we have a question from Schultz10191, and they asked the Reddit community, but we're hijacking the question. They asked, in the last 10 years, what is the greatest individual performance you've watched live? So you have watched many more performances live than the average person. So I'm very curious to hear if there are a couple moments or one in particular that jumps to your mind. Ooh, I, it's, it's a great question. So I'm, I'm going to kind of cheat the question a little bit. Um, my performance is going to be Jimmy Butler in the finals. Yep. You could pick a specific game, but I think picking one game would be doing his overall performance, sustained performance throughout the finals, a uh, injustice. I, I think that just watching him come out every single night and ultimately just give us a chance to win. Uh, you know, we were depleted from an injury standpoint in some respects. A lot of people had counted us out, and his just will and determination and what he was putting up uh, numbers-wise, the triple-doubles, the scoring output, the distributing, the rebounding, he was just doing it across so many fronts. That was an incredible uh, performance and truly an, an inspiring one. So that's mine. I don't know what you got. Game three, was it? Yeah. Where he had four triple-double with 40? 40. 40, yeah. 40. 12 and 12 or something like yeah. that. Incredible. So, yeah. And that was, and, and you got to think that's our entire season on the line. If we go down three Oh, then it's, it's for sure over. Um, but he wills us to victory in that one to get us to two one. That was incredibly impressive. Which game, which one was he hunched over the table? That would be game five. Okay. So I, five. those are the two that jumped to mind. Uh, yeah, I think he had a, I think he had a thirty point triple double in that one as well. Yeah. Um, again, what you've do you seen, got? You've seen way more live action than I have, um, but the game that came to mind for me was back in twenty eighteen. I was at a Lakers Warriors game in L A. and Clay had forty four in three quarters. He had forty four in like twenty five minutes or something like that. I think he was 10 of 11 from three. And it was just one of those games, you know, he has a couple of these in his career, but it was one of those where he was throwing it in the Atlantic Ocean, like you've referenced on this podcast. And it was just incredible to see. Yeah, I mean, seeing somebody get to that place is is special. Um, I, I haven't had it to that extent, but I, I somewhat can relate to the feeling of going to that place. Um, and that's really special. But even just being able to witness it and watch it uh, is, is really fun as well. Well, I have a runner-up. I have a, a runner-up performance, not in the NBA, because I think it's important to highlight some, some magical live performances outside. Sure. And uh, the, the next one that came to mind was the NEPSAC Championship back in 2013, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe you were nine for nine from the field, maybe 11 for 11. You didn't miss a shot. I know nine that. Nine for nine. Nine for nine. It sounds right. 21 points, nine for nine from I, the field. I think it was 24. 24 points, uh, nine for nine from the field, didn't miss a shot in the NEPSAC championship game. That's at Phillips Exeter, people. Uh, prep school, high school basketball. Incredibly competitive game. We were favored, but we needed a performance uh, from our best player to carry us to a championship. 
and you didn't miss a shot in the entire game to carry us to a championship. So I think that has to be in the conversation. I think that was really just just my teammates putting me in situations to be successful. No, no uh, media answer. Here. No, nobody other than your, yourself, truly. Uh, no, I, that, that was a fun one to look back on. Uh, just more so because you're you're winning it with your best friends, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah, but not missing a shot also must be kind of cool. Yeah, it's nice. I'm not gonna lie. I remember um, I remember you getting interviewed in the hallway to the locker room after the game, which didn't really happen in prep school basketball. Like because it was the championship, there were a couple media outlet people there and you got interviewed. Uh, and it was like, it was the coolest moment ever just for all of us. Like we just won a championship. Duncan's getting interviewed. It just, it felt like we were big time. Yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that, I mean, that whole, that whole run, uh, with that group was, was special in and of itself. And, and for you to go on on a limb and say that I was our best player, I think it's probably giving me a little bit too much credit in and of itself. Um, but I, what I remember most is, is just, you know, winning a championship with your, with your boys. It's as good as it gets. <laughs> You're, you actually, you probably weren't our best player. Shout out to Chris Braley, Harry Rafferty, Jordan Hill. You might've yeah. been, you might've been fourth on that list actually. Four or five. Yeah. Somewhere in the mix there. Yeah. Not on that night, though. On that night, I was right. pretty special. <laughs> hey, you stepped up when it mattered, man. Lights were on. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on, we have this week's long shot feature. We have Chloe Zhao, who recently won the Oscar for Best Director uh, this past weekend at the Academy Awards, and she directed Nomadland, which also won Best Picture, I might add. So she yes. uh, she had the uh, the two-for-two two sweep there. Uh, but she became the second woman ever to win Best Director and the first Asian-American woman and the first woman of color uh, to take home these awards. So shout-out to Chloe Zhao. Uh, that's a, that's a big-time performance. Love it. Yep, awesome. It's a good one. Another good one. These are good every week, though. So that pretty much wraps up the, uh, the front of show here. We, we covered a lot of bases from vaccinations to uh you know nepsack moments and memories oh yeah uh, and of course chloe zhao uh, we wrap it up with with her shout out but uh you know we have a great conversation with joe ingles uh he has an incredibly refreshing perspective on life basketball and everything in between so i really think you guys are going to enjoy this one Welcome back in to the Long Shot Podcast. We are joined by a guy who has done it all over the globe. First in Australia, where he was the NBL Rookie of the Year and an NBL champion. Then in Spain, a two-time Spanish League champ in Barcelona. Then it was off to Israel, where he won the Israeli League with Maccabi Tel Aviv and went on to be a EuroLeague champion as well. Uh, the theme is clearly that you you win wherever you go. And then now he's in Utah, uh, where he has his set, sights set on another championship uh, and is a huge part of the best record as of now, at least in the NBA, uh, the Utah Jazz. And as they look to make a championship push, he is undrafted, uh, like, like myself, and in my opinion, one of the most underrated players and underappreciated players in today's NBA. So welcome, Joe. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. That was uh, I've had some intros. That was uh, that was right up there with them. No, you know we we try to uh, we try to cover all the bases. Uh, you know, shine some light on on all you've accomplished. Like I said, I think the biggest takeaway is that 
you've won everywhere you've been. Um, and Utah is no different. So actually, I want to start by asking and, and kind of telling people that we were originally scheduled to do this interview uh, a few weeks back. And we were, we, we, were uh, we were ready to go. And I will also say this, you are one of the more punctual players uh, in terms of just being on top of it. And I, I greatly appreciate that. Um, and we had it all lined up. You were, I think you were flying to Memphis, I believe. And you hit me, I don't know, three or four hours before we're set to do this interview. And you're like, hey, man, I'm going to have to push it back. And I, I didn't know what I thought it was maybe, you know, whatever. Like there's a million reasons that why a professional basketball player wouldn't be able to do a stupid podcast on, <laughs> on a given night. And you turn out to have the most legitimate of any I've ever heard, which was that you guys had this plane incident. So could you just shine a little bit of light on that, please? Yeah, it was funny because I actually like the whole thing happened. I was driving home. We got to actually go home for a bit before having to fly again. Um NBA was not going to let us miss the game. So we were flying out that night regardless. Um, but I got to go home for a little bit and I got home and I was like, shit, I've got to do the podcast. And I was like, I got to hit Duncan up and just let him know. But, but yeah, we, so we, we were going to, to Memphis. I mean, as you know, regular, get on the plane. Everyone's got some whatever food, whatever we're doing. And uh, takeoff is normal. Um, there's a couple of us that play cards and we, we were just starting to play cards and, it was funny because I sit next to the window in the table where the table is in the middle section of the plane. So it's right over the left engine and wing. Mike Conley sits, George Niang sits next to me. Mike Conley sits in the, in the row next to us. And he was looking out the window at the time and was like looking at the, these, these birds flying by. And next thing you know, you just, we just heard like the loudest, like bang, like thump kind of sound. Um, and automatically, obviously, sitting next to a window, I looked out right away and all I could see was like the round circle engine part was, like, I guess the, the protective cover of the engine was like pieces were just flying off. Like it was like happening way too, way too quickly. Um, and people at the back, we found out later on, saw the engine actually blow up. So we actually lost the, the like flames coming out the back, like lost the back of the engine. Um, obviously turbulence like going pretty crazy um and i was just saying like I, I i reckon everybody for about 30 seconds to a minute because they after a few minutes the pilot came and said we have lost the engine but we're good to land and when you hear that you're like well these guys have done it forever like we're if they if they're saying we're good then we're, we're probably good um a lot of us not being in that situation we're probably still like uh, <laughs> i hope you've done this before or trained well enough because this is not like we fly however many times a year, however many miles a year. And, and this is the first time in my career that uh, anything's ever happened. Um, yeah, things were, were flying off, but there was about 30 seconds to a minute where I was like texting my wife, like, yo, I don't, I don't know if this is like, we might be going down. Like I, and I think everybody for a, for a split second or a few seconds thought that um, until the, the pilot was like way too calm and, and cool over the uh over the moment i was like yeah we're all good like we've just lost the engine and we're all like what the hell are you mean we're just like are you sure um so it was it was extremely um it was one of the it, it easily the scariest moment i've ever had on a plane and i've got three young kids and that was kind of all i could think about was like this is not <laughs> this is just not the right this isn't the time like we're even just basketball we're playing too well like we got, we got to get to memphis and beat memphis so um hell of an experience experience but i'm glad 
obviously we're all safe and it was um, a legitimate reason to push the podcast back. So I apologize. I mean, incredibly legitimate. And the fact that you even thought about my podcast admits all that <laughs> right. uh, mean, means a whole lot. But uh, so I actually, when I was in college, we had something not quite as bad, but we were taking off and our plane got off the ground and then just came right back down, crashed. Yeah. We had like emergency crash, that sort of thing. And what I remember from it is you have these these moments where like time kind of stands still. And yeah. you telling that story, the thing I take away the most is the unfortunate circumstance of you having to be next to George Niang. And oh. that, and that being the final, the potential final image. Uh, it would have just, been, you know, the, another funny part I just remembered then was my wife and George and myself have a little group chat that we just talk a bunch of junk in. And I think George went to text his mum like, I love you, but he sent it to our group. And he, <laughs> so my wife Renee was like, why is George texting me? I love you. And then, and then we, obviously I texted her just after this and she kind of realized what was going on. But he obviously went to, te- I think he was texting his mum like, really quickly and it was it was we were just talking in the group chat before we text uh before we took off um my wife was like well i've got my the two guys that love me are sitting right next to each other and if it if it was meant to be then whatever would have happened but i'm glad uh obviously glad and um yeah i had to hear george like squealing and screaming in my right. ear next to me but um yeah i wouldn't uh wouldn't wish it that on, on my worst enemy it was a horrible experience Duncan, you guys went on to win the Big Ten Championship that That's year, right? right? That's you went right. on a pretty magical run. So, Joe, I don't know. There might be some That's good a, juju. Yeah, I might have to. Uh, we might have to talk about that later. See if there was things that happened after that can push us through to uh, to get this championship here. No, I mean nothing. Uh, nothing to bring a team together like a, a near death experience. That's hey, that that's no word of a lie. I think it like we all like I said we we eventually landed and we all kind of didn't know what was going to happen next in terms of like flying that night or tomorrow or, or whatever. So we all coach was like, go home. I was like, I was first off the plane first in the car. I was like, I'm going to see my kids. Like I need to see, go and give them a cuddle and spend a bit of time with them. And so we got a few hours at home and then I think we ended up flying out a couple like seven or eight o'clock that night. But um, yeah, horrible, horrible experience. I don't have a, a plane crash experience that I can relate to you guys with, so I'm going to shift to basketball, if that's all right. Joe, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Duncan went on JJ's podcast last year and talked- a few clips of this. Yeah, he talked about coming through pre-draft and that he used you as a comparison when going through some of those interviews true story. and workouts. So I'm just curious, when you hear that, is that an insult? Do you take that as a compliment? You know, how, how are you uh, taking that news? Got to be somewhere in between those two. No, it's a, well, the funny thing is, is like, I mean, you're like, there's no question that you're, you're a way better shooter than me. Like, no, cause I, I don't like, like I shoot a good percentage and I have a few years in the league. Like, it's not like, but I don't see myself I don't see myself at all as a shooter. Like to me, if you if 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 I'm thinking basketball and I think shooter, I think like yourself, JJ, like guys that are rip hammered or coming off these pin downs and like that's like, oh, I want to play pick and roll and get my team like try and pass. And shooting's like kind of just uh, the funny thing is with the shooting is my my first year in Utah, I was undrafted, was 27 years old, trying to make the team, and Quinn sat me down my rookie year at 27 and said, if you want to get on the court and stay on the court, I want you, I need you to play defense and I want you to like sprint to the corner and shoot threes. 
So I was like, in my mind, I was like, that's so easy. Like, I mean, not def- playing defense in the NBA isn't easy, but like, I'll take that challenge. And then all I have to do is like, get out of Gordon's way. And if he passes me in the corner, just make a couple of threes. And it just kind of rolled on from there. But no, it's, I, I would, I would take that as a compliment because you, I don't know about defensively. I'll, I'll take, I'll take the uh, hat on me and you defensively, but offensively, <laughs> you're, you're, we were just saying kind of like your movement off the ball and then, like it, it, that is it's the worst thing to go. Like when they say like, oh, we're playing the Miami Heat, and like Joe, you're gonna have Duncan. I'm like, fuck. Like that means I'm not gonna get any shots. My legs are gonna be tired. <laughs> well, Joe, I, I also I want to say that I think you're in the midst of legitimately one of the greatest shooting seasons in the history of the NBA from an efficiency standpoint. So I think you trying to downplay your ability to shoot, uh, it's just not going to be tolerated here um, <laughs> because ob- obviously you are an incredible shooter. Um, I think I think where exactly where I think it would maybe become an insult that I would try to compare myself to you is that you do so much more than just that. And, and that's something I've really grown to appreciate about your ability to kind of be be plug and play in that sense and that if you want to play if you need to play in pick and roll you can do that distribute and then you've also had games and stretches where it's kind of been evident where okay maybe, maybe more so stretches in a game even where like donovan or or mike are going to handle and then all of a sudden you're just plug and play and you can be a floor spacer um then obviously what you do defensively uh i've i've experienced firsthand but have you always kind of been that way and that you've able to kind of just move in and out of different roles or is it that's something that you've kind of learned to refine particularly in your nba career no it's it's definitely a i think um i was saying this not long ago to someone I, i thought i think in my career like i started in australia when i was 17 and went to europe and did all that and I never found a really good situation. Like I was always coming off the bench in most of those teams, except the, the Australian um, league, my first few years. Um, but I just never, I don't know if it was the coaching, the style of play, the, the, the league, just EuroLeague or Europe in general. Um, but I never found myself that comfortable in a role in anywhere kind of. I, I, with the national team with Australia, I, I know my role and I, I feel like I can do that really well. With the Jazz, obviously, especially the last kind of, not the first couple of years, but the last four or five years, like I really know what I'm there to do and, and how to help. Um, but my first, like I always thought I was like, I was a good shooter, but I wasn't great. I could, I was okay in pick and roll. I was an okay defender. Um, but I didn't have anything that was like, and I think that's why, like I got to the NBA at 27. Like I think if you are a knockdown shooter or if you're a lockdown defender or like you're Chris Paul in like that leadership pick and roll like if you've got something that's like way above anyone else you've got like a door to get in the NBA um and I didn't have any of them I was okay at all but I don't think I was great at anything and I got to to Utah and and that story I was saying about Quinn was like play defense and shoot three so all I did that offseason the next offseason I played all right got a two-year deal and I was like, I'm just going to shoot. Like I'm going to shoot until I'm like, I can catch and shoot. I feel comfortable, comfortable, uh, confident and comfortable with it. And then Quinn's, Quinn's probably the one that I have to give all the credit to really like his drive and, and competitiveness, like with, with me is like you, you're 20, like you can still get better. Like who cares if you're 21 or 25 or 35, like why not just keep adding? And, and every off season I've tried to add something different and, it was a shooting originally, then it went to like the pick and roll. And I, and I knew 
especially when Gordon left that year, I re-signed and Gordon left. I was going to be involved a bit more in the offense um, with, with handling the ball. And um, me and Rudy and then even Favors and I got a kind of good connection in the pick and roll and that kind of developed. And then playoffs guys started sending me right hard right because I couldn't dribble with my right hand. And so I was like, now it's funny, but I actually have told a few, like I actually feel more comfortable going right to shoot than I do playing pick and roll going left. Um, so it's just kind of developed each year, but I, I think one thing I've said a few times about it, like in Europe, in Australia, even with the national team with Australia, like you have like two coaches, maybe three coaches. Like it's hard to develop because if you want to go and shoot after practice, I'm shooting with six guys and we're all getting like four shots after practice. And then it's like, all right, we've got to get out because the hockey team's coming into practice where, I mean, you know how it is. Like I, I could call my coach right now and say, let's go across the road and shoot and he'll go shoot with me. Um, and I think having all that, uh, uh, the access to coaches, facilities, all that just, it, it, it makes you be able to focus and, and kind of like really hone in on like what you want to do. As somebody myself who just turned 27 in their third year, it's very comforting to hear that you feel oh. you've, you've gotten a lot better later in your twenties, early on in your thirties. Um, because I, I believe that as well of myself. Like, I don't, I don't think I'm far from a finished product but it's tough because now you look at the way the nba is today you know guys are written off as a bust at 21 years old it's it's, it's ridiculous so i think that obviously your your journey you have a, a particular perspective um but when you were starting off okay in, in australia or, or even as you started to move um into europe and play your league was it always sights set on I want to get to the NBA. I want to play to the NBA. Or was it just kind of like, I'm in this situation now. I'm going to make the most of it. And let's kind of see what comes from it. Yeah. I, I grew up like in Australia with no cable TV. I, I never watched the NBA. I didn't, I, I couldn't access the NBA. We had like five local channels. Um, there wasn't like Instagram where you can open it up and you can literally watch like a whole game now on Instagram more or less. Um, so I never really watched it. So I grew up my in Adelaide and, the local team, Adelaide 36ers, had a guy called Brett Maher who was the captain and the best player on that team. And I wanted to be Brett Maher. Like, I wanted to play for the Adelaide 36ers and be Brett Maher, which now if you saw this guy, it's like he's a firefighter, I think, in Adelaide still now. Like it, Unbelievable. Um, and he, he played for Australia. So my whole thing growing up was like, I need to play for the 36ers and I want to play for Australia. And kind of got there and I was able to go to the Olympics when I was, when I was 20. Um kind of like ticked that off and, and wanted to do more with that. And then had a European passport, which obviously helps going to Europe and play as a local and not as an import, which is kind of opens up three quarters more jobs than what there is as an import. And it just kind of like kept going. Like I went to a really small level team in Spain. I played really well. And then Barcelona bought me out. I was like, by that like mid twenties, I was like, well, maybe I could make the NBA. Like I'm not, if I had to play in Europe the rest of my life or back to Australia, like I would be, I would be completely happy. Like, it's not like I'm very appreciative that I got here and now like life, life changing things have happened. Like the contracts you sign, the money involved, like my family and everything that happened. I'm, I'm proud of it. And it's, it's something I don't take for granted. But if you told me I had to play like 10, 15 years in Europe and go back to Australia, like I would have been fine. I would have been, I'd play basketball for a living at the end. Like it's, <laughs> and I think that now, like I still think about that now when after my, first year in utah all i wanted to do is get a two-year deal so i could get the pension and i was like if i get the pension get three years 
at least I got something coming in. And then I'll just go to Russia and play and make like, you can make good money in those top level teams. Like I'll just go back there, play a few years and, and then go back to Australia. But obviously things turned around and I was able to kind of stick over here and, and develop into to a role and a starter and, and all these different things. But um, yeah, it was never like, that kind of, I don't know if it's the, the cliche or whatever the word, but like the, the posters on the wall of, of basketball player. Like I loved playing, but it wasn't, it wasn't like the end of the world for me. Like it was just a, it was a, something I really loved doing. Um, and I think I've carried that through. Like I've got, I feel like I've got very good perspective of like, an article just came out today. Like, I, and I said, it's just fucking basketball. Like I've got so much other stuff with my my kids and my wife and Jacob's autism and all these other things. I love basketball. I've loved what it's given me and what it's provided for my family and, and friends and all that. But like, it's a basketball game and I'm going to do whatever I need to do to, to be the best and to be the best of my role and help the jazz. And hopefully we win a championship and do all that. But as soon as that game's over, so I'm going home to my kids. I'm going to give them a kiss. Good night and be up at, six o'clock the next morning ready for breakfast i'm, I'm just curious because i i've learned this particularly early on in my career when i was really trying to like break through where you lose that perspective and and so much, like an nba game feels like life or death and and <laughs> whether you shoot you know whatever one for seven or, or five for seven is like determines your entire outlook on legitimately everything for the next 24 sure. hours until the ball yeah. goes back up again. Is that, have you just always kind of had that perspective or is that something that maybe recently um, as you've kind of solidified yourself and, and become uh, just kind of like a, a staple, particularly in Utah, is that something that's just kind of come to you naturally or have you always had it? I think a part of it is just kind of my personality. Like I'm a very laid back guy. I'm not, much phases me i can like i don't have all these like crazy routines before the game because i feel like especially in the NBA, like too many things change and scheduling and all like i'm not going to eat the same meal because then we play at one o'clock and i'm eating pasta at 8 30 in the morning like it's just one of those like um and i've always been very laid back with it i think which is like i wouldn't give the advice to everyone to just go and have children but having the kids for me was <laughs> was was really eye-opening it was like I had my wife Renee and we were like, life was good. We were, we were happy and just kind of chilling as mid twenties. And, um, you probably, we had twins. Like we have all of a sudden we've gone from like myself and my wife to like these two little babies, just like laying around in the house everywhere. And it's like, holy shit. Like, it's not, it's not about me. It's not about her anymore. It's about them. Um, and I think that really, like I, what I was saying before, like I, it's not like I didn't care. I, like if I had a bad game, I would go and watch the game that night and I would analyze it. I'd be like going into the gym early the next day to get more shots up and do all that. Um, and like, I, I couldn't tell you the last time I watched a game outside of like pregame film or film with the team. Like Donovan sits on the plane, he's watching, like if we're about to play you, he's watching all your highlights, all the game before, all the clips. He's watching it all the way up from like 24 hours before until tip off. He's like, we we get treatment next to each other before the game. And he's like trying to show me the iPad and all that. I'm like, I'm like, I'm good. Like, we'll figure it out. And so I think I think the kids for me really kind of opened my eyes to like, I love, like I said, I love basketball. I love the, the competitiveness. I love going out and getting like getting better. I love getting extra shots up and doing all that. 
But as soon as I walk out of that arena, like it's purely 100% about Renee and the kids. Like I need to be there for them. Um, and I think kind of opening another door to that was, was the diagnosis with, with Jacob when he, we found out two years ago um, that, that he had autism and it was like, now I like, not that I wasn't there anyway for my kids, but now I like really need to be there for my kids. Like Jacob needs extra attention. And then you get in this thing where you're so focused on like Jacob needs this, Jacob needs that. And he's got a twin sister that like, I can't forget about her as well. And then, you know, our scheduling, like we're, we're never home anyway. So I'm like, I've got to make sure my wife's all right too. Like there's, there's so much more to it now. Um, like just my daily life than what it used to be like me and Renee would get up and go out for breakfast and hang out and do all that. So th those things definitely, I told George, I was like, you're, you're a mess. Like if you just go, go find a girl and have a kid, it will settle, settle you down and you'll be, it probably be actually be worse for him. Um, Say, don't don't advise George. that's why I've, that. I've said this I actually I brought it up to I spoke to a college team this summer about it and they were asking me like a similar question and I said the same thing I'm like I'm not advising you to do that but it's, it, I think it's it kind of goes along with like finding that that passion or something outside of basketball that's that that you are passionate about the, like the drive like I we're doing this fundraiser at the moment and it's so tiring like getting these items and getting NBA, like you were saying, like getting NBA players to sign an email saying it is their signature. It's like chasing, it's like chasing my children around the house. Like it's, it's hard work. Um, but it's like, I've got to do it. Like I've got to do it. I don't care if it's game day. I don't care. Like I've got to do this because the money that we're raising is going to help so many families and children that um, it just kind of drives me to, to keep doing it. So yeah, that, that perspective is, is very, <laughs> I think I've got it very well kind of broken up between basketball and life. Um, and I think it's helped me. I think it, it takes that pressure off a little bit to just go out. When I, I know that Renee and the kids are right at home. Charity stuff's good. We're doing all that. I can just go out and play freely and 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 have fun doing it. Because I mean, I like to talk shit and have fun and smile out there. And I think that that's the the best way for me how to do that. I think there are a lot of beautiful reasons to have children, but yeah, adding uh, an extra step or stage to your basketball game might be top of that list. I can't wait till we get to see that evolution uh, for Duncan. So thank, thank you. I'm taking notes over here it. for sure. <laughs>
getting double technicals, getting like it, it was it was kind of getting ridiculous. It was like I remember one time in Utah, I tried to like beat him over a screen, and he like just ran straight through the middle of me, and I fell down because he's a, he's a big dude. You know, I went straight down, and he stood over the top of me, and I was like, my sh- holy shit, my life's about to be over. Like he's he's like standing. I mean, he was mad as hell, and I'll, I'll always thank Trevor Booker. Trevor Booker came and like tackled him out of the way for me. Um, but I just felt, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like it. Part of it comes to me, like I, I do enjoy like laughing and talking out there. So it's like sometimes you'll say something to someone and they won't answer you, and I'm like, like you know, you don't want to talk to me. Like let's just, it's like it's just basketball. Like, let's just have a conversation. And I've probably talked shit to Duncan a few times. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's it uh it, it hasn't changed because I think when like. Like I said, like as soon as I walk off the court and get changed and leave that arena, like I'm thinking about the kids. I'm not going home and talking shit to the kids or swearing at the kids or anything like that. It's uh, I am a, a bit of a different person, obviously, around my kids. But I think once you once you get on that court or, or arena or whatever you do as a sport, you can kind of be whoever you you want to be. Um, and that's just my personality. I think I'm better when I am having fun and enjoying it like that. That's 100% something I can relate to. And actually, that is part of the reason why I would always reference you in the pre-draft stuff is that not necessarily because we, we play that similar because we really don't. Like, you, you're much more versatile. And you, you defend at a much higher level uh, than I do and offensively versatile. But I would always say, when you know, if I was talking to a scout or a GM, I would say, you know what, I have – I feel like I bring something similar to Joe in that when I step in between the lines – I have a different edge, a different kind of competitiveness to me that I that I try to bring. And the reason that that was so fresh in my mind was it was right in the middle of the Paul George series of, of U2, which is well documented. And we don't need to, to get into that. It sounds like it's funny. I how, also like, didn't, I, ha- I did not start any of that either. Right. Right. I mean, that, that's kind of what I was going to say. And that it sounds like there's such an effort by like media and like narratives that they try to build in and push in like, like you would be at home Googling Paul George, whatever. But it's like, now that I'm, I'm talking to you and hearing you say this, it sounds like that's something that just kind of like, you know, you're you're not afraid. You're not afraid to say something back basically. And it just kind of naturally goes to that place. When I think like you said, like that competitiveness of, and like a little bit of the backstory of even like the Paul George thing, like, I don't know if people remember, but the first game, so I, like we're scouting OKC and it's like that, they had that stacked team. They're obviously a, a very good team. And I actually really like like the way Paul George plays. Like he's offensively, he's obviously super gifted. Defensively, he can be just as good as offensively um, kind of on both ends of the floor. But the first game of that series, I think he had 40. And I was like, like I've got to do so. Like I've got to figure out like I'm gonna, and coach came to me the next day and 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 brought up like, hey, we're gonna switch the matchups just because we can't have you having average forty for the series. And I'm like, and I said to coach like, no, nah, like give me like give me one more chance. Like if if he's cooking me in the first quarter or something like that, then let's just. And I think he's still averaged like let's not get a twist. Like he's still averaged twenty six in the series or something crazy. Like yeah, happy I would be at average twenty six in a series. Like that would be amazing. <laughs> um, but I was like, I'm not obviously going to be like matching up with him with athleticism or anything like that. I'm going to like, I'm just going to kind of like irritate him. I'm going to like be really annoying. And it got to that point where I was just like, we just kept getting into like these little things. And then like you said, like the media blow it up way more, I think than 
like I ever thought it was. Like I didn't even, I don't even think about it. Like never after that series, it's not like I was sitting at home like, oh, I did such a good job. At, like he averaged twenty. Like yeah, we won the series, but um, yeah, I think it's yeah that competitive. Like you said, you can just you can walk out on the court and you can you can be whoever you want to be. You can be as a great like you could be the quietest dude on court, but like on court you could be like it might just be who you are, like talking shit and playing aggressive. Like you don't seem like a, a guy that would talk shit, but I've seen you like mouth off to some guys too and give some fist pumps in people's faces. Like oh, we've all, uh, and I think that's the the beauty of like playing in the NBA. Like you can just, you can be who you, you want to be on the court. I'm so glad that you brought this up, Joe, because it's a running theme on this podcast. Oh, he's so shit. I've seen that. Yeah. Don't worry. Thank you. Good. Because he he continues to to uh, refuse the fact that he's a shit talker. He says that it's just more talking to himself. But it seems it <laughs> seems the worst. <laughs> it seems pretty obvious to me that he's a shit talker. So I'm glad that you're helping validate that. No, hundred percent. It it for me, and I, I've made this point a couple times, but. I always try to be calculated in it too, in that <laughs> there are some people that if for you sure. take it if you take it to that place, it's not going to end well. At least for me, and I have I have a certain level of awareness of like, all right, if, <laughs> if I if I poke the bear on this person too much, like it's just not going to end well for me. Um, I think fact, Russ is Russ is one of those guys. Like you yes. go you go at him the wrong way or whatever, say the wrong thing or, or get into it with him on a dead ball or like whatever it is. It takes him like one second and he can go for 20, 20 and 20. Like we've, we've seen that before. Like it's uh yeah, it's definitely a, uh, in seven years now I've, I've learned who this, like I ain't messing with like James Johnson. Like no way you can do, you can say, say whatever you want to say to me. I'm running the other way. <laughs> I think, uh, I mean, JJ is a great example. Uh, he was a teammate of mine in Miami. He just so happens to be like legitimately the greatest human being uh, in terms of like the nicest guy, one of the best vets I've ever had. Uh, but exactly that. I think it would probably be considered that he's the most unanimously feared uh, across the NBA. I hope um, so. Except uh, the kid from <laughs> Charlotte Hornets trying to fight him. The twin oh, yeah. brothers, one of them trying to fight him. <laughs> That was a uh, that was a bad business decision. Um, yeah. I think I think Jimmy's up there as well. It's funny that you and Jimmy. Um, I actually remember a story of, I think it was earlier this year. It might have been last year though. You guys kind of got into a little bit of a tussle, and uh, I remember a conversation between the two of you. And you were actually like, "Let's just not go there." Like I, I'm trying to keep well, money in my pocket. Like I, I just don't want to do the double. The tap. funny thing about that is, so we got into it for like years after years after years, and. I always do this like stupid old man stretching routine at the half court before the game because I don't need to keep running. I need to actually just stay somehow stay warm. And he walked over to me pre-game and was like, yo, let's just like call it quit. Like, let's just play. Let's not get teed up today. And then that kind of became like a, like, like you said, like a bit of a running joke where he, he'll he either say it to me or I'll say it to him every, like nearly every time we play each other now. And I, and since then we've like, I don't think we've, we've been, like double teed up or, or whatever since. Um, and like having a few conversations with him and hung out with, not hung out with him, but like in the bubble, obviously you have way more conversations with guys and all that. And I spoke to him a bit there and he's an avid coffee drinker as well. So we had a bit of a chat about that and stuff. And so, um, yeah, I think that like quote unquote beef is, is gone, but he's a, he's a hell of a player too. 
this is a really interesting conversation for someone on the outside of the NBA. So if we had a if we had a Mount Rushmore of guys that you don't talk too much shit to, it sounds like we've got Russ, James Johnson, Jimmy. Is there like a fourth face that we're putting on that Mount Rushmore? Um, I think it's like like what Duncan was saying. It's like being calculated with like guys that you. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, but like a De'Aaron Fox, who's like the like, I'm too slow. I'm not quick enough to stay in front of him. Like I might like guess right one time or twice, but like guys, it's like it's just not it's not worth my time or effort to try and do it because I don't want to like chase him up and down the court for the next forty minutes. Like, right. I, I think I think the other side of it. Like the JJ is like the physical altercation that nobody wants yeah. a part of. But the other side of it is exactly what Joe is talking about, which is actually the one that I am more like conscious of is that, you know, it's an 82 game season. There are nights if you catch a guy on like a Wednesday night where he's like kind of just going to be going through the motions. And it's like, you know, for me, that might benefit me greatly if that's my matchup <laughs> and he's just going to be going through the motions. So, I am I'm calculating in the sense that I don't need for any reason to give him any additional motivation for him yeah. to turn it up. Like now, all of a sudden, he's I competing think, in I think game Dame, seven. Dame would go in that category too. Like you don't exactly. want to talk. You he, like especially because he's like literally like dribbling to the half court and shooting basically a layup for him. Where like I'd have to kick it to make it that distance from the half court. Um, yeah, there's a few guys. I like, even like Steph. Steph's more of a quieter. He doesn't really talk out there and all that, but you can see like he gets that look in his eye, like, all right, like you want to play physical or you want to do that? Like right. he I just read it, I think he had a quote today or yesterday that said, like, when people say to him, like, stop, you do it too, like stop running around, like stop moving all the time. He's like, it's like a to me, that's like cool, because I know you don't want to chase me now. So now I'm gonna run exactly. even more. And he's built to do that. That's what he does, and, and it's what he's done his whole career. But yeah, there's definitely some battles that you uh you just leave alone. Yeah. Hundred um, percent. I, I want to ask you a little bit about this year's Jazz team. Obviously, you guys right now, as we mentioned, best record in the NBA. I think you guys are incredibly interesting because I think you're very anti-modern NBA in that you see a lot of. And, and don't get me wrong, you you have some high usage players, but modern NBA, you see one, two guys basically with the ball in their hands making decisions. You guys are incredibly unique in that you have four, five, six guys capable of doing that. Um, and this is actually something I, I've, I've talked to George a little bit about as well. There's this idea of, and this is all professional sports or just sports in general, you, people talk about sacrifice a lot and yeah. how sacrifice is really easy when it's not you who has to make the sacrifice. <laughs> but I think in, in your case, you guys are all sacrificing a little bit in that you have guys that could maybe be elsewhere or could have a little bit more of a role, but you're able to make it work. Can you talk a little bit about just that, that team dynamic and what makes you guys so connected on both ends? Yeah, I mean, I think, the first thing that comes to mind when like when people bring this up is like we we just kept getting we're like we were getting swept or not swept but like first round second I think we went to the second round at one time like and it's I mean you you've been the NBA what three years now four years like it's like it's not fun when you're at home when you're watching everyone else play and I think a part of that is like if you're not willing to say like I could go to 
oh, I could have signed when I signed my 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 bigger deal. Like I could have gone somewhere else to like some shitty team and played, had a bigger role and like maybe shot the ball more and all that. And even when I signed, we were obviously hopeful that Gordon was going to come back and all that. And and then, but I think since then, like we've we've got we've got Donovan, we've got we we were able to sign Boyan, we traded for Mike. Like Mike could have easily said, no, I want to go. To the same thing, like to a smaller team or or not as good team or whatever, and he was like he wanted to come and he wanted to take not take a lesser role, but like he's not playing a two man game with Marcus Holt every single possession now. Like, right? There's times that myself, Donovan, and Mike will be out there together, and we're like splitting, kind of whose whose turn it is to to kind of handle the ball or be aggressive. And I think we like even Donovan. Donovan's a, a great example because if Donovan wanted to and demanded that we just gave him the ball and he ran a pick and roll with, with Rudy every time or wanted to ISO, like not that many people are going to argue against it because he is a hell of a player. <laughs> like it's not the worst option you could do. Um, but but he's like, he's obviously him and Rudy are two best guys and, and they're, Donovan's the first one to be like, like Joe, I just turned it over twice. Like you bring it this one, like, or I'll run, I'll, I'll bring it up and I'll run something for you. Like we just need, I need to get off the ball. I've been, I've been shooting too much or I'm over dribbling or, or whatever it is. And I think everybody having an understanding of like everyone, it's pretty common in the NBA of like know your role and accept your role and, and be great in your role or whatever it is. But actually doing that is, is hard sometimes I think, because I've, I've had games where I've, I, I shoot three times and I'm like, man, I feel like I could have been more aggressive or maybe I just wasn't getting the ball that night. Like it just wasn't the night to, and then there's games where I'll shoot 15 times and Mike might not shoot or, or whoever it is. And I think, again, we could all not enjoy that and not enjoy the success and, and be mad about it and, and hold on to those things. Um, but we've, we, we just don't. I think the, the bigger picture of Mike's in the same situation in Memphis, like they never went, I think they went to the West Conference one time with, with that team. Um, like Donovan, I've been here with Rudy the whole time. So we, like all our guys, Boyan in Indiana and stuff like that, like they never got that far. Um, and I think as an older team now, like me and Mike are 87, like Boyan's same age as us, more like we're all a little bit older. Like you get that perspective of like, all right, like do we, like do, do we just, are we going to play for numbers or like contracts or like we've all been looked after very well. I think George is the only one that hasn't. So, um, but we've all been looking after very well. Like, are we actually trying? Like, let's just let's sacrifice. Let's try and have a crack at winning this because we've got a team that, when we're playing the way we want to play, and not like the last two games against Minnesota. Um, but when we're making shots and playing the way we want to want to play, I, I think we can match it, and, and if not, better than most of the teams in the league. Um, so yeah, it's it can be tough at times. There's definitely games that you sit there and you're like, man, I feel like I could have been more involved or whatever, but, but you, you, we won the game. Like, what am I going to complain about? I'm, I'm good. My family's healthy and we, we get to, to play basketball for a living. Couple, couple great things there. I think I'm going to start saying my age as the year I was born. I, I like that a lot. Uh, 87, that, that, that's 87. good stuff. Um, and then two, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, also in the camp of pulling that that George gets taken care of this summer, um, but uh, yeah. One other question about you guys this year, I can only imagine because I've seen it here and there uh, in in spots of 
you know, you get compared to like the the Budenholzer Hawks who had the best season in the NBA and, you know, can't get it done in the playoffs, which is like that whole, those, all those narratives are always going to exist until like, yeah. it, it's like that thing of like, until you win it, you're always going to be the guy who can't win it. And the same thing for a team. Like, it's just like, it's kind of like these stupid things that exist. Yeah. Within One like team wins every league. year. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, and I think it's just totally overlooked at like how, like you could very well be the best team in the NBA as you guys have been all year. And maybe not win it because winning it and winning, beating a team four times, you know, in four straight series is really, really hard to do. Do you guys, do you guys like hear that stuff? Is it just tuned out like the regular season stuff? Or is it just kind of like, you know what, like, let's just wait and see. Like, we know what we are when the playoffs come around. Yeah. I, I mean, we, we definitely. I mean, you, I think in this, in this day and age, it's like impossible not to read and see things at times. Like, you can. Yeah. Unless you just like have a flip phone and no 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 uh, no internet and all that, like you're gonna read something at some point, even if you don't want to. And I think so, so. Everybody sees bits and pieces and people that analyze teams and and say that this guy's better than this guy. Or this team can't play in the playoffs because of a style or like whatever it is. And um, I think from from our team's perspective, we've had a like a mindset all year of like let's just keep keep getting better. Like we we weren't that great at the start of the year with like keep grinding, keep grinding, keep getting better, keep individually, keep getting better as a team, keep figuring out what works, what doesn't work. Uh, I think every team this year has gone through some kind of like COVID or injury where you've had to like adjust, like you're missing important guys or you're like, we're going through it now a little bit. Like we we're missing Donovan. Like that's a huge piece for us not to have out there. And we haven't not had him all year. Like he's been with our group all year. I've missed right. a few Mike's missed a few, and I think our teams now without without Donovan, it's like all right, we'll we'll find out. We've struggled the last couple of games, um, but like we'll we'll figure it out. Like we're just going to keep getting better. And I think, I mean, as you know, you want to like you could be first, second, like as long as you're playing your best basketball heading into the playoffs. I think that's what you want to be doing. I think sometimes teams are trying to manipulate seedings and all that, which I'm not like a huge fan of because I think you just you're kind of messing with the juju a little bit, but like it is, it is what it is at times with that stuff. Um, but if you're playing your best basketball at the time of, of the playoffs, whatever month it is um, going into it, that's what, that's what you want to be doing. Cause you, like we know as our team, like when we're playing well, and we're playing the way we want to play and not getting dictated by the team we're playing against. We can, we can match it and, and beat any team in the league. Um, when, it's flipped or when it's flipped, which I think every team goes through. Like when we know you want to come off these bloody pin downs, run around, if we can manipulate a way to like not let you do that, that's a big part of us slowing the Miami down or if it's Jimmy or whichever player from whatever team is obviously the scout that you read. So um, yeah, I think the, the, the style we play, I think it is, I mean, it's hard for teams to guard. I mean, we shoot a lot of threes. We, we, we we are a good defensive team with Rudy as an anchor out there, and we're able to basically play our four guards and and Rudy and Rudy's and Derek Favors are both good at running the lane. So we've got like we can get out and run and four guys on the court at all times that are shooting basically over forty percent. I think I think JC is the only one that isn't, but he so like you're not going to leave JC open because he's not shooting forty percent. <laughs> like it's that would be the the silliest decision a team made. So I think um, we know as a team what 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 works for us and we like the the minutes the, these last two games like we didn't play 
this last game last night, like we didn't shoot well. Like I think if we make three more shots, we probably win the game. But um, most of the time, if, if we dictate what we want to do, we feel like we're in a good position. And um, I think we'll be able to carry that over to the playoffs. So uh, we'll, we'll start to wrap up here. You've been awesome and incredibly gracious with your time. Uh, we have a question that we ask all of our guests, and this is more pertaining to your story and your journey. Is there a specific moment or an experience that when you look back on your journey, you feel really had a, a great impact in terms of you know providing a springboard or allowing you to shift some sort of perspective, um, which ultimately helped you get to where you are today. It might be, you know, an opportunity, a, a break or a conversation or a relationship or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I think that like the, obviously it was a fortunate situation of, of being able to kind of meet Quinn and like, I, it's funny, like you have all, like, I don't know how many coaches you've had in your career. Like you have so many coaches in your career and I've got a lot of respect for every coach I've had and they've all helped me probably in some way. I'm probably doing something still today of something I learned from them all. Um, but for me, meeting Quinn and, and having him as my coach, like I've never had a coach and there's, there's probably other coaches in the NBA like this, but never had someone that, like he almost believed in me more than I did. And I, like I said, like you coming, I'm coming, I came over at 27 and before coming over at 27, I thought like oh, I was pretty miserable in Europe. Like I wasn't enjoying basketball that much. I didn't feel like I was getting better. And when I got here to, to Utah, I was like, I think like I am who I am at this point. I'm 27. Like I'm not 21 and like still learning and figuring things out. And Quinn was like basically telling me I was an idiot. It's like, what, what's stopping you from getting better? And it's like, it took me a little while. I think it took me probably that first year or two to like believe my, believe in myself as much as he did. Like I, I remember situations in games my first couple of years where he would put me back in at the end of the game, like for that last rotation of the last like four minutes or six minutes or whatever it was. And I'll be like, no, no, don't put me in. I like, just leave, like leave Alec Burks and he's playing really well and like whatever it is. And he's like, no, no, cause you, you're, you're going to make a big shot. And I'm like over 10 at this point or something. He's like, you'll, you'll make a shot. And I'm like, holy shit. Like if, if he believes in me, then like, I may as well think I can do something out there. So it's like, you end up going out there and, and things happen, but I've just never had someone that one believed in me and gave me the confidence to, to keep getting better and to, to keep learning. And, um, kind of manipulating situations to, to let myself stay out there on the court. Like my first year, every single possession that I got like switched onto someone, it was like, I oh, so like clear out. And I was like, not again. Like, and it gets to the point, like, and this is where it was like, well, like kind of stand up for yourself. Like don't let them. And it got like, all right, well, let's figure it out. So he's sitting down, we're watching clips and um, yeah, like I said, I've just never had a coach that, that gives you so much confidence. Like I, I feel like, like if he told me I could jump out this thing and land on the whatever the Sacramento arena is next door to me, like I feel like I could make the distance if he he would he would be able to convince me enough that I'd be like, I could probably do that. <laughs> um, which is pro I think it's pretty rare for like coaches they want to want their players to be confident, but he's so bought into it and so passionate about it, like in the development side of things and all that that um, 
yeah, I mean, he'll he'll forever. It'd have to be a miracle for me to have another coach that I, I would have on the same level um, as him. So I think that's something that I'll um, be forever grateful for this situation. That's uh, that's beautiful right there, and I I can totally relate in terms of having a, a coach that believes in you. Uh, how that moves. That's the all needle. it takes, really. Like yeah. one, like if he if he didn't, and it was someone else here in Utah at the time, and maybe I was on a like a non guaranteed or that. Like, there's no what. Like, I would be playing in some terrible country somewhere, like miserable, and like I was so over Europe that it was like. I am not like I just didn't want to go back basketball wise. I love the lifestyle, like Barcelona and Maccabi, like great cities, people, and all that. But to have a coach that that was so determined to get me better and like make me believe in myself as much as he did, it was like, I guess I kind of I don't have a choice. I guess I have to think I'm okay. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so yeah, so that that's 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 great stuff. Let's uh let's get to our undrafted segment here. Uh, we can keep these these brief and, and kind of quick hitters. But once again, so this is we want we want the underrated, the underappreciated answer uh, of each category. I'm gonna start. Dave will go second, and then I'll wrap it up. My first one for you. We've talked a lot about you being the defensive stopper that you are. Uh, so give me the the uh, That's the, a stretch. the uh, undrafted toughest matchup. So maybe maybe not a superstar, but somebody who you know you see you're matched up with them that night, and, and you know it's going to be a challenge. Um, yeah, that's. I mean, it's it is tough. There's there's certain guys like I, I think everyone goes to the like you could easily say the the Chris Pauls, the the Paul Georges, Kawhis, all that. Um, it's actually funny. Like he's probably not the same level now depending on what some people say but um Carmelo like used to tear me up and it was such a miserable time anytime I used to play against him but for me all like it's usually the smaller quicker guys like that like Deer and Fox or um like Jar Morant those guys that for me is like because I'm tall I'm 6'8 like I'm definitely not fast like I'm not putting money on myself to beat anyone in a race um so it's like trying to kind of manipulate a situation against those guys that I can stay in front of them. Like Mike Conley, Memphis, Mike, when we used to, like I, I would guard him in there and I'm like, coach would be like, oh, you got Mike. And I'm like, God damn it. Like, um, yeah. So a few of those like smaller, quicker guys is the ones that, that I uh, do not enjoy. We, we need an answer though. We need a, a singular <laughs> name. Can I go John Morant? Is he? Is sure. He not- love it. I love it. That works. He hasn't been all side just yet, so nah. people might say great answer. All right, I'll, I'll hit you with the second one. I'd say that's borderline. John Morant's borderline superstar, so I would yeah, but say he that's only guard he guards the usually the best offensive yeah, non like big man. So yeah, yeah. of course, it's always going to be a good player. Go right. ahead, Dave. I'm uh, I'm interested to hear your answer on this one, Joe. After uh, the way you've spoken about European basketball in the last ten minutes, but uh, my my next question for you is the underrated, underappreciated aspect of playing in the Euroleague. Um, I think the like the style of play is underrated. I, I think like it's so there's no like I mean you know how it is in the NBA like someone gets and they run down they're doing like three between the legs and a step back and like if you did that in in Europe like your ass is sitting on they don't care who you are your ass is sitting on the bench um probably except for for a couple guys so I think like the the 
commitment from those teams, like the point guard, like I remember one year we played someone like we would catch the ball in a rebound and like he, the point guard would hold it and wait till everyone ran down and then like walk the ball up the court and we would run a, a, like a play every single possession. Um, and at the start, it's a bit frustrating because you like want to get up and down a bit and whatever. But um, I think the commitments are like the style of play and the commitment to, to getting a really good shot every possession, which is why I think like expanding a little bit, but like you see these European guys come over and they, they don't, you don't see many of them take like bad shots or, or that lately they play within the system. They're trying to get a good shot. Um, yeah. So I think the, the underrated thing would be like the style of play or the, the commitment to, to running offense or, or, or getting whoever it is a, a great shot every possession. It's a great answer. Um, the last one we got here, it's been pretty well documented that you're a big coffee guy. So uh, give us a, a coffee spot that you feel like is is overlooked and, and deserves some appreciation. There's a couple. So my favorite in Utah is Campos Coffee, which is pretty close to your hotel downtown. Um, so you'll have to go there when you're getting good food too. George actually goes there all the time. Um, Campos Coffee is, is – and it's Melbourne Coffee sent over to, to America. So um, there's one – I don't actually know what the name is. There's a place in San Francisco next to the, the hotel that is unbelievable, like a little hole in the wall. I like those little like yeah. one person working in there and they're like trying to hand it to you through like the smallest little window. Um, but no, I think if Campos Coffee's the the best I've had in America. Love it. I'll have to check that out. Um, all right, Joe, we appreciate your time, man. I've uh, been no super generous, generous with it. Uh, good luck the rest of the way. And, uh, yeah, you guys are a ton of fun to watch. And, obviously, I've been a fan of yours for a while. So, I appreciate you taking the time to come on. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I'm glad uh, you didn't jinx when you messaged me before this one. I was like, please let this plane get off the ground. <laughs> so, um, no, glad it worked out. And, and thanks for having me. For sure.